Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anyone else this morning? Well, if your hearts are clear, you've minded the Lord, turn with me if you would. To Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. Now I wish this morning that I was preaching on the four living creatures and the four wheels and all that stuff because that would mean I understood all that, but I don't know. I tell you what, I don't think anybody knows um, some of those things. Sometimes God likes to put in the Bible a little mystery for us. We're not going to be speaking about that this morning as much as we'd like to do so. We're going to try to preach about things that we know what we're talking about. And yet, even as I say that, I realize that even that is, that is a little presumptuous. Very darkly, very darkly do we see through this glass. And especially as we're, the Lord has laid on our heart for this morning, uh, I feel like this morning it's more like trying to peek through a keyhole. And uh, I don't know that we have a good view of the room, but we have just a little keyhole, but trusting the Lord will help us. But you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Ezekiel chapter 1. And I'll just give you a heads up. We're going to read the first four verses, and then we're going to skip down to verses 25 uh, through 28. So uh, 
we're going we're gonna to skip all of that about the, those creatures and the wheels. Um, not because it isn't important, not because it isn't God's word, but we're going to try to focus in on, on what the Lord's laid on our hearts. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Chabar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chabar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud, and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof was the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Now let's skip down to verse 25. And there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads when they stood and had let down their wings. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man uh, above upon it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire around about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw it <coughs> were the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness around about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spoke. <coughs> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've preserved it for us. And Father, we, we recognize Ezekiel, of, of all the prophets, is perhaps the hardest to understand. And so because of that, we recognize this morning that perhaps even more so, we're going to need your help to rightly divide the word of truth. We ask that you'd anoint these lips of clay one more time and that you'd receive glory and honor and praise. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. What do you do when God doesn't make sense? I found that oftentimes I don't understand God. And you know, people have said, and, and I perhaps have even said it myself, that a God that we could comprehend, a God that we could understand, would not be a, a God at all. And that's nice when, we can when we're not really in the place of confusion or questions. But when we are in the place of confusion and questions, I'm not sure that statement is very helpful. When you don't know when God, uh, what God is doing, when you don't understand why he's doing what he's doing, when God's acting, from our point of view, weird, 
And he does, doesn't he? God sometimes just does not act the way we would expect him to act. And what do we do then? What do we do then? I suppose that some would say, just hold on. That's, this situation will pass, and, 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 and that's fine. I, I, if, you've, if you've got faith for that, wonderful. But I think sometimes that just isn't good enough either. There's a lot of questions we have in life. There's a lot of times that, that we would really like to know the answer to why. Some have suggested it and said they've never asked God why. I suppose that's fine. Jesus asked why. And so I don't have any problems asking God why. David asked God why several times in the Psalms. So I think I'm in pretty good company if I've got David and Jesus in my, in my corner. Uh, I don't know who's in your corner with your I never ask why, but whoever's in there, if they can beat out David and Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'll let you win the argument. But there's a lot of times we just don't understand why. Oh, by the way, I've got Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and I've got a lot of prophets in my corner too. A lot of people from the Bible in the corner of asking why. And Ezekiel is a young man. He's at 13 years of age. He's been captured by Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know if you remember being 13. I do. I was thinking back to when I was 13. You know, I was a mess. <laughs> and I can imagine if I was captured and taken from my home, his father was a priest. And here he is, 13 years old and captured. And God, that he has heard his dad preach about and share with others about, isn't behaving the way that you'd want God to act. They've been captured. They're, the Jerusalem has been sacked. They've, it's been, a, it's been a, 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 a hard time. And, and now they've been in captivity uh, five years. He's now 18, and God has given him a vision. But before that, he's had the vision. We need to kind of understand a little bit about what's going on. There's false prophets out. There's always false prophets around. And I've preached a lot on, uh, uh, already on, on being careful of false prophets because they'll lead us astray in a hurry. And in Ezekiel's days, there's the false prophets that are going around saying, you know what, we're, yes, I know we're in captivity, but in two years, in two years, God's going to have us out. Two years, we'll be out of here. Really? And uh, there's other people, there are other people that are going around, you know, the false prophets with all these, this false hope. There's other people that are going, you know what? I'm not even certain we're God's people anymore. I don't even know if God cares about us anymore. We've seen, we've done awful. Israel's been captured. Now Judah's been captured and Jerusalem's been captured. And you know, I'm not even certain that we are God's chosen people anymore. I think God's forsaken us and God's going to choose a different people. I think that would be a really hard thing for any Jewish person to have to face. 
And I can imagine some people saying, you know, God's threatened to do it before. He threatened to do it with Moses. He's going to consume the people and raise up the children of Abraham under Moses. God's threatened to do this before. And now we've really done it. And we, don't, we didn't have a Moses to stand up for us. We had a wicked king. We didn't have a Moses to stand up for us. And now we're going to be consumed and we're going to be destroyed as a people. We're not... We're not gonna. We're not gonna be God's chosen anymore. We're not. God's not. God's. God's forsaken us. We're. We're. God's. God's finally had it with us. We. We've. We. We've sinned big time, and we're out of. We're out of luck. I can't imagine what that has to be like. But I can imagine a little bit. I think. Because I know as a young person, I was in and out and had real, a lot of trouble getting established. And I know the devil would tell me, you've really blown it this time. God's not going to forgive you this time. You're on chance 478,000. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I've heard some people say that they... They got saved and they just straight as an arrow all the way through and never, never had that. I wish that were my testimony, but it's not my testimony. And I think I can just relate a, just a little bit, not to the same degree, but just a little bit to what they're going through, wondering, does God even care about us anymore? Does God even care? I suppose that even without seeing, I suppose that just in the midst of horrific battles that we face as in life, job situations, perhaps a layoff, church situations, family situations, I think sometimes we can ask ourselves, does God even really care? Does God even really care? And that's where Ezekiel's and the children of Israel are. They don't know if God really cares. Ezekiel is 18 years old. He's a priest. He's the son of a priest. And God gives him a vision. And I just want to say this morning, I know that we don't live in a time where a lot of people have visions. And the people who go around saying that they have visions were a little skeptical of. And you know, I think it's good for us to be a little skeptical. Because remember, in Ezekiel's day, there's many false prophets going around too. And so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being skeptical. But I will say this morning that I do believe God still gives visions to his people. I believe that he does. And Ezekiel has a vision of the Lord. But you know what I found interesting as, as I thought about it? This was his Isaiah 6 experience. This is when Ezekiel gets to see the Lord. And yet... We don't deal with Ezekiel's vision of the Lord as much as we deal with Isaiah's. 
I'm not sure why that is, but, but what I, as I began to study this passage, as I began to try to understand it a little better, I, I, I understood something very important, and that is when we can't understand God, we need to go back to who God is, go back to his character, how he has revealed himself to us. And how does God reveal himself to Ezekiel? How does he reveal himself to a people who's not sure whether God is their God anymore? Whether he's still, uh, if they're still his people. And, and in the confusion and in the midst of false prophets giving this answer and that answer. And nobody's sure who's telling the truth and who's right. And we, as we try to, to in, a, in the midst of our confusion, the one thing that we can rely on is how God has revealed himself. And the first thing that we see is that uh, to Ezekiel, God reveals himself in a whirlwind. And as you read it, it's, it's a, I mean, a whirlwind is, 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 is probably not the right answer. Probably not a very good translation. I think that a better way is, is uh, as I read this, it, it's more like a tornado of fire. There's a cloud and it's spinning around and there's fire. And I, and I mean, you just read that and you're just like, whoa. What is this? What is this? I mean, I, I mean, there's a tornado of fire, folks. I, I, I'm a little bit concerned about tornadoes. Not too much. My wife's a lot concerned about tornadoes, and my father-in-law, bless his heart, is terrified of tornadoes, and has promised never to visit us during tornado season. But I'm telling you this, this morning, if Kansas had tornadoes of fire, well, I think it would have been a little bit harder for us to move here. <laughs> I mean, if you're telling me that you're going to have whirlwinds that ha involve fire, I'm just a little bit concerned about your all's mental health if you lived in a place like that. That would be crazy. And yet here God reveals himself in a whirlwind of cloud and fire. And you say, what is going on? What is God trying to say to us when he reveals himself in a tornado of cloud and fire? Well, I think we have to go back. I think we have to go, go back in scriptures, go back in time even further and see how God has revealed himself in the past. And we recognize that God has done this before. You remember that he revealed himself to Job in the whirlwind. Now, this is a little different. I don't remember Job talking about fire in the whirlwind. But Job had an experience with the whirlwind. But then if we go further in time, if we, we would find that when Moses has led the children of Israel out, that God went before them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire at night. And do you remember 
that when Pharaoh came chasing them down, God moved the pillar between Pharaoh and the children of Israel. And the children of Israel were able to cross on dry ground because between God or, or between Israel and Pharaoh stood God in the form of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Let's move up a little bit further in, in history, actually quite a bit further in history. We see that the temple has been completed. And Solomon is, is praying and, uh, and dedicating the temple to God. And he's saying, God, we, I mean, you're, you're, the heavens can't even contain you and we've built you this little building. But Lord, it's you and we, we want you, it's for you and we, we want to use it for your glory. And, and what happens? But a cloud descends. The Hebrews call this the Shekinah glory. It is the visible presence of Almighty God. The visible presence of Almighty God. Now, I suppose that you've heard Shekinah glory talk about and people saying that they, wanna, they want the Shekinah glory in the services. We don't usually get the visible manifestations of God. I've heard a few people who have said that back in the day they've seen some visible manifestations of God. I'm not disputing that at all, but it's rare. It's very rare. I have never seen a visible manifestation of God. I never have. Not saying it hasn't happened. If you've seen it, I'm not saying you are, were hallucinating or anything's wrong with you. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that it's incredibly rare. But what is this, this, as we've gone through history, three times throughout history, we are seeing this, this whirlwind, this, this, this pillar of cloud, this pillar of fire. What is this? This is a manifestation of God's presence. God is present. And here's what God wants the children of Israel, and he wants for us this morning, when we're going through these times of not understanding what God is doing, that God is present with us wherever we are, whatever we're going through, whatever the trial, whatever the questions, whatever the confusion, God is present with us. And oh, how encouraging it is to know that His uh, presence not only is with us, but it's protecting us. And Ezekiel is seeing, folks, this is glorious. He's seeing God saying, I am present just like I was with Moses and the children, your forefathers. And I am going to stand between you and Nebuchadnezzar. He will not get to destroy you. He will not be able to defeat you. Even though you're in captivity, even though it looks like they've won, I want you to know he will not utterly destroy you. I'm standing between you and the enemy. And this morning, I want you to know, bless God, he's standing between you and the enemy of your soul. And all the host of hell can be marching towards you. And all the, 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 the demons and all of their ugliness and all of their hate and their vileness. But I want 
you to know there's a pillar of fire standing between you and hell. Oh, praise the Lord this morning. You say, I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through. I don't know either. I don't know. God doesn't always tell us why. But he keeps standing guard. Oh, praise the Lord this morning. You forgive me this morning. <laughs> he stained his guard this morning. <laughs> and he's present. Whether you're facing the trials of Job, tax on your body, tax on your possessions, whether you're facing Pharaoh and attacks upon your well being and upon your livelihood, or whether you're just in the midst of praising Him and dedicating yourself to God. Wherever you are this morning, I want you to know, even though you can't see it, that the presence of God is there. And he has all power to protect his children. And the enemy of your soul could march every demon of hell. He could march every resource he has. He could use every wicked man and every wicked woman on this earth that put all of his guns trained on you. And I want you to know that he still he is powerless to the presence of Almighty God. Though all hell should endeavor to shake, I will never, no, never forsake He's in the whirlwind. He's in the whirlwind this morning. And just as I told you, I think you'd be a little crazy to live in a place that had tornadoes of fire. I want you to know you can rest assured when, the, when God controls the whirlwind of fire, when it's his presence, I think the enemy's crazy to fight against him. want to talk about eternal security there's eternal security for you <laughs> praise god i'm never going to get through this sermon folks he comes he comes into the whirlwind and then we could jump down and then and then ezekiel sees more about god he says he says he saw a, a throne sapphire get this you know what's going on, sitting on that throne? He says, I saw the likeness of a man. Praise God that we have a high priest that is touched by our infirmities. He is willing to lower himself to take on. He couldn't be fire in the tornado fire, but, but instead he shows up uh, sitting on the throne in the image of a man. 
That it's not just all power and all, all this uh, uh, thunders and lightnings and, and fire, but he shows up as one who knows what it feels like to suffer. Oh, this is exciting, folks. <laughs> We're going to celebrate Christmas in two months. But let's celebrate it now. We have a Savior who came to earth to be like us. So that he would know what it was like to be hungry. To know what it was like to be thirsty. To know what it was like to have the stomach bug. You think Jesus had the stomach bug? I think he did. He didn't, ta- he didn't take on any miracles until he was 30 years old. I think he got the stomach bug. I think he got the flu. He may have even had allergies for all I know. He knows what it is to suffer. He, know what it, he knows what it is to, know, to, to feel the limits of this body. I think about Jesus. He's preached all day. He's exhausted. He's worn out. He goes onto a ship. They're sailing across the lake. And what happens? He falls so dead asleep that a storm doesn't wake him up. He knows what it is to be so dead dog tired. You ever been that tired? You've been so tired that people say, man, that lightning storm last night, oh, it was terrible, I couldn't sleep. All and you're like, I didn't hear it. I worked all day, I was so tired. <laughs> now some of us just don't wake up for thunder and lightning storms, and others of you, just it don't matter how tired you are, you just wake up to everything. But Jesus was so tired that in the midst of a storm that the disciples feared that they would die. And we're talking about fishermen, trained life fishermen. If they're terrified, what do you think poor Matthew, the tax collector, was feeling? My guess is that his, his, uh, his lunch was, was lost long ago before Jesus got woke up. Jesus gets up and he cares about them. It's not just the power, folks. We get so caught up on this power to say, peace be still. But he was, he was there with them. And if that ship went down, he goes down too. You say, oh, he could just walk on the water. He wouldn't have done it without his disciples. Folks, that's encouragement to us. If you're his disciples, he's not going to let your ship go down without giving you the ability to walk on the water. He was sitting high on his throne. He's still in control. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was sitting on the throne, but no, he wasn't. God was sitting on a throne high above, and there sat the likeness of a man. Thank God for the tornado of fire, but thank God for the man who sits on the throne, the likeness of a man. He's more than a man, but I'm glad that he became man. When I pray and ask God for silly things, when I pray and tell God I've lost my keys again, God doesn't say, you silly human. He said, you know, I lost my sandals a few times in the house. We don't think of Jesus that way, do we? But I think he did. 
I think he did lose his sandals in the house once in a while. I wonder how many times Mary says, man, I know he's the son of God. I know the angel came, but man, that boy can never find his sandals. You maybe think that's disrespectful and blasphemous this morning, but I don't think so. He knows what it is to feel what we feel. And Ezekiel is facing confusion, and he's facing discouragement, and he's facing all sorts of things, that emotional trauma of being a captive from 13 years old, and, uh, and now he's five years of his life is in captivity, and he's going to be in, uh, in captivity for years yet. He's going to have to fight with false prophets. He's going to be ridiculed. He's going to have, he's going to, have to do things that none of you will want, would want to do if God asked you to do them. He's going to have visions he'll not be able to explain or understand. And yet God says, I'm going to come in the form of a man. I want you to know that I know what it feels like. You say, now wait a minute, preacher. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus hadn't come yet. I think you're reading into this. I think you're misusing the scriptures. You don't understand something about God. God inhabits the present. All times are present. He had, was the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. He knew what it was to be human for Ezekiel, just like he knows what it is to be human like for us. And in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our sorrow, Jesus walked among us as one of us to know what we have gone through. He didn't only come as a tornado of fire, and he didn't come just as this high king sitting on his throne and says, in the image of a man, but he came with fire. They said there's fire all around. Everywhere. Coming from his loins, I mean, there's fire everywhere. I mean, I I don't know about you. I like fire. I, it's neat. But fire's a little terrifying, too. I, I don't have, I never wrote it out, but I kind of have a list in my mind of all the ways I don't want to die. Burning up is one of them. It's on the top ten list of ways I don't want to go. And I mean, there's fire everywhere. This has got to be quite a vision. This is exciting to me, I think. I'm, I'd love to have seen what Ezekiel saw, and I hope I'm preaching it uh, right this morning, because as I'm seeing this, I, just, I mean, I'm seeing just these like jets of fire everywhere. You say, what's in the fire? You've already preached about a tornado fire. What, you, what, is, what, are you, what is this? Does not Hebrews tell us our Lord is a consuming fire? I believe that God is trying to remind us that He's still holy. He's still holy. In the midst of Israel's sin, in the midst of all the things that they have done wrong, God, and God still loves them, He still wants them to be His people, but He's trying to communicate He cannot abide sin. And there were many false prophets who said, you can just sin all that you want to and God will still bless. Does that sound like any preaching you've heard lately? Hopefully not here. 
You can do all the sinning business you want. We're God's people. You know, they didn't even learn their lessons. When they show up at Jesus, what do they say? We're children of Abraham. They still haven't gotten it. This false doctrine of sin, word, thought, and deed all the time and still get to go to heaven because you're one of God's children is, is, a, uh, is a false doctrine that's been around for as long as there has been people who have been called God's people. It's false doctrine. It's proven here and it's proven in Jesus' day and, it, and, and still and we keep hearing this false doctrine. Folks, we must be holy even as he is holy. We are to be a sanctified, a separated people. We're not supposed to be sitting. We're not supposed to be going out and, and doing whatever we want to do. We are the children of God. That means that we should act like him. Children of Israel have sinned and they've sinned and they've sinned and God has pro sent prophets. He sent, he sent warnings. He's, he's, he sent famine. He's, he's done all sorts of things to try to get their Israel's attention. They won't listen. And Jeremiah will, will be crying out to the Lord and saying, God, how can you use a more wicked nation to punish us? We deserve it, but they're more wicked than us. I don't get it. When you use God's name, when you call yourself by God's name, it means that you've opened yourself up to his discipline and his correction. To call yourself a Christian, it should, should make us raise our heads up with not carnal pride, but pride that, that God would choose us but it also should lower us our heads in humility, recognizing that we have opened ourselves up to the correction of the Lord. It should be a fearful thing to call ourselves a Christian. It's one of the reasons I'm fearful for our nation. It's because we have set ourselves up. We, what country in this world has been as blessed as much as we have? And as we continue to sin and keep turning our backs on, on him, I'm afraid that someday someone's going to lament, Lord, why did you use a more wicked nation to, to punish us? They're more wicked than we are. It's because we have called ourselves the sons of God. And when we call ourselves that, we open ourselves up to the correction of God. And he is holy and he will not abide sin. And oh, that God would help us to live holy before him. You say, those last two, they were real encouraging. This isn't encouraging. Well, it ought to encourage us because it means that God is interested in making, getting us to heaven. And holiness makes us fit for heaven. I'm glad that God doesn't just save us and then let us alone to just figure it out ourselves, and if we don't make it, well, oh well. God says, I'm, gonna, I'm a consuming fire. I'm going to purify you. I'm going to make you more holy. You say, I don't understand why I've got to go through this trial. Well, 
if you've, if you've been, if you've got some areas of disobedience in your life, there's the answer why. And Ezekiel's people needed to hear that God was a consuming fire. And the reason that they were going through what they were doing, uh, going through is because they had continually rejected the checks of the Spirit. To the, now you say that checks of the Spirit, they didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do. They had the, the prophets that God's Spirit rested on who gave them those checks. And God may use the Holy Spirit to check your heart. He may use a pastor or an evangelist or your spouse or your children or your neighbor or your boss to give us a check, give us a reminder. Oh, that God would help us. God would help us. I know you all want to get out of here. But there's one more. One more thing, that, that, and, I, and I would be, it would be a crime if I didn't tell you this. He says that he saw, saw a rainbow. What's the sign of the rainbow mean? It means that God, in the midst of judgment, is remembering mercy. You know, I don't think it's by accident that God used a bow. A bow is, a, is a, a, an instrument of war that every culture has used. Every single culture has used a bow and arrow. As far as I understand, uh, the, uh, uh, those that, uh, people that study those things, as, I, as far as I understand, every single culture has invented the bow. Or have found the, another culture that used it and used it for themselves. And here's the thing. God takes his bow and instead of pointing it down at earth, he points it up in the sky to remind us that his arrow is not pointed at us, but away from us. Oh, that we would remember that even in the midst of God's correction, in the midst of, of God's allowing for us to suffer, that he has put his bow pointed away from us. He remembers mercy even in the midst of judgment. And the people of Israel needed to hear in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of, of this terrible correction of the Lord, the Lord's hand was heavy on them. That God had not for, only not forgotten them, but he was remembering mercy. And I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know if it's your own fault or it's not your fault. But I want you to know that whatever you're facing this morning, that God has carefully measured out this trial. And in the midst of whether he's trying to correct you or grow you or if he has some other purpose in mind, he has carefully measured out every single grain of sand in the weight of this trial. You say, God's given me more than I can carry. I want you to know he might, but he hasn't given you more than he can carry and he wants for us to let him help us carry this load.
In the midst of judgment, God remembers mercy. And I don't think it's by accident that there's a rainbow in the throne room of heaven that consistently reminds God of his promises that he's made to us and, the pro- and not only the promises he's made to us, but also the mercy that he wants to show for us. I believe the rainbow is constantly before the eyes of our Lord as he sits on, on the throne. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know the discouragements and the battles that you're going through today or you'll face next week or next month or next year. But in the time of your confusion, cling, cling to who you know God is. And if you can do that, he'll see you through whatever the trial, whatever the test. Praise his dear name. Let's stand together.